Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort. That's me. We helped build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge, and now we're in the thick of building our own tech company, and we're bringing you along for the ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships, and everything in between. We'll tackle your try or cry questions and share workplace tips that we've learned along the way, as well as interviewing inspiring business leaders. So get ready to go after what you want, be courageous, back yourself and build your dream career. This is Try Babies. Today's episode is our last episode of the year. A quick thank you so much for coming along on this Try Babies journey. We have so many exciting guests in the works for 2024. Today, we unpack the dirty little word known as influencer. There are over 65 million influencers on Instagram as of 2023, and up to 60% of millennials and Gen Zers are stating they'd like to become an influencer for their career. So if this is such an aspirational job title, where is all the shame and judgment coming from? Let's get into the chat. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> can, can we be heard? <laughs> Welcome back to Try Babies. It's a frantic start over here for our last episode of the year. That actually rhymes. Yeah, so, wow. I'm sitting here with my yeah. pants undone because I've got to the stage where my jeans no longer fit me. So this is nice for people watching at home. Oh, man. What's your, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but are you going to buy new clothes or are you just <laughs> yeah. going to try and make do? <laughs> I don't really know. I feel like on our salaries, Lucy, buying new clothes isn't really an easy decision. <laughs> Look, I'm okay if you want to just wear sweatpants to the office. Yeah. Like, <laughs> buying new clothes is a luxury. I will buy new clothes. I just feel a bit weird about it at the moment. Like I don't really know what to do because mm. I'm basically just at a size where all my clothes fit. I just can't do them up. I just can't do pants up. So I can like semi, semi get away with it. And I, the thought of investing in clothes that I'll never wear again is not really for me. So I think I'm just going to have to find stuff with like elastic waists. Yeah. Thank God we're going into winter because like I will probably just wear like leggings and trackies. Yeah. Just go to Arlo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Are we kicking off with a try or cry? Oh, man, yeah, I always forget about this one. Yeah, you can go. What would you like? Oh, man, let's go Let's go try. Okay, hit Let, me. Let's go try. I am sort of in the process of trying to detach from my identity as a designer at Sunroom and, like, m- moving more back to where I was at the start and, like, playing the role of the CEO and, like, stepping away from, like, really owning product and yeah, trying to just focus much, much more on my leadership of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I don't know, you just have to like unlearn some things or like your day to day, you have to like reprioritize what you're thinking about, what you're working on. Well, you will have to keep everyone informed <laughs> <laughs> on strategies you implement. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's necessarily strategies per se, just more like a, a constant reminder of like, you don't need to do that, you need to do that. Um, yeah, I do know that would be hard. I feel like your identity is very much design as your value add, I suppose. Mm. But it also is leading the company. So it's, I guess, just learning how to be a hat switcher, (laughs) a context switcher. All right. What about you? Try or cry? Mine's 
not really a personal one, actually. It's more of a follow-up from our last episode that we did on The Girl Boss. I actually read, so I guess it's kind of a try, I mean a cry for, for women in the world. I read an interesting article this morning that was actually comparing the treatment of Emily Weiss, the CEO and founder of Glossier, to the CEO and founder of Bird Scooters. So I guess for people in Australia, you probably wouldn't be aware of a bird, I don't think, but it actually was the fastest growing startup in America at one point. And I think it reached like unicorn valuation in record time. And they're basically these electric scooters that everyone really gets around on, on Venice. They can be <laughs> fun, but deadly as well. Um, anyway, their valuation, I think they IPO'd and their valuation has just absolutely fucking plummeted to the point where the CEO and founder's house is now worth more than That's the company. Right. Oh yes. In my Miami. And there was this article just talking about the teardown stories around Emily Weiss and how her company is a massive failure. Yet I think it's on track to do hundred million this year and his company's on track to do like 30 or something. And yet there are no real scathing headlines. There's no, none of this failure story. Everything is quite mm. reasonable which I just don't think is how that girl boss generation were treated in terms of their shortcomings or perceived failures. So I just thought it was an interesting circle back. Just, yeah, held to a higher standard and yeah. we might be for a while. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, so today's episode, Lucy, what's it about? <laughs> Tell me. So we are digging into this perception that influencer or being an influencer is this dirty thing or it's a dirty word. And it's a concept or it's like this perception that we think about a lot as we're building Sunroom. A lot of our users, a lot of our creators face this as they try to monetize and they try to like generate an income as creators and as influencers. You recently have even faced it yourself and done some thinking about it. So yeah, we kind of want to get into it. Like I think maybe by like starting off like how we even define an influencer because mm. it is like a relatively new term. Yeah. Right. Last like 15 years, yeah. 10, 10 years even. I think this is so interesting. It is a good point. Start on the definition. Mm. And I think it's interesting to think about the definition because I feel when influencer is used in this derogatory way that it is often used as a way to silence someone, dismiss someone, remove any credibility a person may have, I think it's looking at a at influencer in a, in a different way than maybe people would define influencer. Like I think I define influencer as someone who influences people to purchase products and the way they tend to do that is through sponsored posts that they are paid for. That mm. is what I think is the more, probably the more traditional definition of influencer. I think it's evolved, but I do feel like the influencing around buying products is a pretty critical piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Can you influence people on ideas or does that make you a politician? I think like you, Clem Ford. I think you can, exactly. but I think that's when it starts to get into this territory where those influences, it's not used as a dirty word. Mm, and okay. this is what I think like the interesting thing is. I think it is used as a dirty word to target a certain type of influencer because you could argue like Barack Obama's an influencer, right. Michelle Obama, Beyonce, they're all doing like 
similar things at times across their socials, mm. but influencer is never going to be thrown out at them as a way to tear them down. Mm. It tends to be thrown out to tear women down who promote products online. Yeah. That's when it becomes dirty and that's when it is used in its most dirtiest form, mm. I think. I feel like society has always had this disdain for a salesperson, mm. right? We sort of like screw our noses up at someone who like puts car on the, sales, puts on the re- car. real estate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is like sort of another iteration. Like it has a, you know, it's a different variety. It has a different flair to it. But it is, yeah, it's like selling at the core. It has way more snark in it mm. than how those other types of sales people are treated. It really has nastiness embedded in it and sexism Mm. massively. We have discussed this so many times, you know, how influencer is used as a dirty word and you, you see it happen online. You see it in people's comments. You see people say, oh, influenza. Mm. And I don't think people realize how much like misogyny is under all of that, a quite systemic, bigger cultural problems that I think people are very happy to overlook and not want to unpack and just do the whole like, yeah, they're just an influencer. But mm-hmm. I don't think you realise how how much that is saying to actually have that perception of a whole category of person. Right. Yeah. So like last night at dinner I mentioned to my partner Jerome that we were talking about this topic. And I was like, and it seems to be, it is a female women dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, why is it that there, these women are, are torn down, are degraded, are like made to feel like their job or, or what they're doing is, is less than. And he, as a man had an interesting perspective. He's like, I think because in advertising, women's beauty for a really long time has been used to sell products. Like even before TikTok and Instagram existed, we've used women's beautiful faces to push product. And he was like, my experience opening Instagram is, it's very obvious. Like I'm shown beautiful women everywhere who are selling products. Selling well, products. that's his algorithm. Knows <laughs> <laughs> yeah. his taste. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jerome. <laughs> I think you've really exposed yourself. <laughs> no, keep going. Oh, but, but I have heard other, other men say this and I do, I wonder if some of, um, and I'm not going to say it's only men who have this disdain towards influencers because it's also women, but I wonder if it's this feeling that like, men are definitely being sold to and like women's beauty is like used to seduce them into buying products and it works. And so like they end up feeling like bad about that or they like dislike that. It's almost like with sex workers, right? Who like will seduce men for something that, you know, men who want to be seduced. And then afterwards there's this like regret or disdain or like, oh, I can't believe, you know, I, Mm. I let her do that or I also wonder if it just it just shows that women have this power. If you look at, if you're looking at men and women as kind of cis heterosexual that kind of is all I'm really talking about here. Mm. Women have this power that men aren't really able to access. And I think that is where this patriarchal society and these sexist views all stem from because mm. women really do have the upper hand and we've been made to feel bad for leveraging 
our bodies, beauty, femininity, because it does get us ahead. And I think that is why it's just so ingrained in society to tear that down. And like, this is something that we've spoken about at length and it's really ingrained in sunroom is about allowing women to utilize those things if they want to. Mm. You don't have to, Mm -hmm. but if you want to, you should be able to use those things because everyone's got a subset of like character, well, I guess qualities, skills, everyone's got their toolkit, you know, some are more physical, some are maybe more, I don't know, internal, your brain, (laughs) whatever it may be, humour even, you know, and people are allowed to pull on those. It feels like men have always been able to pull on anything from their toolkit and not be judged for it, yet when a woman does, she's teared down. Mm -hmm. And I think because the influencer space, it, it is a lot about the physicality and how you appear online. You know, it's been very aesthetic. It's been very curated for a long time. It's very, very visual. And so I think that is also where a lot of this negativity and this dirtiness comes from. Like it's really, it is really a result of the patriarchy, to be honest. Yeah. And I, and I think thinking about it like that really helps you, because I will admit I was guilty of having these thoughts about the term influencer long before I started Sunroom. So was I. Uh, <laughs> because I think we're just like um, pawns in this you know, world where we, we just accept whatever the this, this exactly. status quo is. Exactly. And it is internalized misogyny, really. Like when you have those thoughts, those judgy thoughts, I think it's really important to try and stop yourself in that Mm. moment and think, where is this thought actually coming from? Is this an original thought? Do I truly care that much about this thing I'm viewing? Do I truly feel, feel this judgment that's coming up? Or is it because society's told me I should judge this and that that's bad and that that's desperate or that's less than or that's easy. And so we probably all have a bit of work to do in in Mm. that department. Like I still sometimes can catch myself judging things online and I do really try to stop myself and assess where the judgment is coming from. Mm. I also think there are a lot of people that if they could live their lives like many influencers do, they would. Like, I think there is a lot of jealousy there as well because it is so visual. It is so pretty a lot of the time. So I think it can also look, it can look easy maybe to people who Mm. aren't educated in the space or haven't had exposure to it. By no means am I suggesting being an influencer is the world's hardest job, but I think people also tend to overlook the skill. Like it takes Mm. marketing, it's branding, it takes skill to be able to appeal to a large demographic of people. Mm. It takes confidence and guts and courage to show up every day in the face of all of this judgment as yourself and share opinions. It's hard to retain an audience, especially in today's world, especially on Instagram. You've got to adapt to the different platforms that are evolving. You have to try and find a way to monetize yourself. You have to try to find a way to stand out in an overly saturated market. You have to be good at generating content, absorbing what a brand is wanting from you and then like spinning it back out. It, it is a craft. Yeah. It also is important before I forget <laughs> to say like I'm definitely not saying all influencers are incredible at their job, you know, just like in any industry there are people who 
may not behave in the best way, who mm. may not behave ethically, who may be performing to generate a certain outcome. You know, maybe a persona has been invented to show up in this way. Maybe they're that clued in. They're like, I know if I can show up in this way, that's what's appealing to the market right now. So I'm going to show up like X, Y, and Z, you know? So I definitely think there have been problematic things done by influencers, but there have been problematic things done by people in every single industry but the people in other industries aren't publicly it's just shamed <laughs> and, torn, and torn down and there's like yeah. a hate campaign on the streets for their name. Yeah, I mean it's just you're operating in such a public forum as an influencer. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible to influence too much? Like I've seen this thing recently where a lot of influencers are coming out and they're saying, I'm only going to promote products that are authentic to me that I actually feel like I could use, which surely has to limit the amount of money they can make and the amount of clients they can work mm. with. But is there, I, I wonder if that's maybe where some of the disdain comes from when you can sense as a viewer, this person is just like pushed it too far and more of their content is about selling random shit that doesn't yeah. seem authentic to them. I don't know. I, even in that sentence, sorry, that sounded really mean, random shit. Cause it's like, that's legitimately like their way of making money. So like. For sure. And I think people would feel what you just mm. described. I also think it's a privilege for an influencer to be able to get to a position where they can come out and say, I'm only going to promote things that are authentically me because it's also probably indicative of the fact that they've made it to a certain point where now they can pick and choose Mm. the brand deals that they do. But there are so many creators who wouldn't have that choice and so they would be taking any deal they can to make a dollar. Who is that on? Is that on the influencer or is that the industry, you know, like, is that brands? Should they be hitting people up that don't align with their brand? You know, like, should the marketers and social managers at a company be able to identify people that would be the right fit, not just go out to maybe anyone or anyone or perhaps creators that they might think are cheaper Mm. than others? Like, I wonder what side of the market is responsible for that or if it's both parties. Yeah. Or if it's just the viewer and it's like up to the viewer's discretion whether or not they're down to tolerate the sales content for the sake of supporting that person that they've followed for a while. Mm. We're taking a quick break from the episode to jump in and say thank you so much for listening. We love answering any of your questions that you have about your career, going after your goals. So if you have any questions you want us to answer, hit us up with a DM or a voice note on our Instagram page, Try Babies Podcast, or our Facebook page. Back to the episode. What do you define as an influencer? Somebody who uses their audience or platform or, yeah, unique distribution that they have built to, I guess it's like push a certain agenda, but more often that agenda is around consumerism. Consumption. Consumption. Yeah. Um, Do you think when the word influencer is used in this way we're diving into, it is used to encompass all the different branches of the influencer tree or do you feel like it's a little bit more highly targeted? I think it's highly targeted and it's really interesting to see the emergence of the term creator come about because creator is a much more like socially acceptable uh, label 
for people. And you can see a lot of people adopting it now because they want to rid themselves of this like Mm -hmm. influencer label. They want to be seen as someone who is generating, who is creative, who is productive, who is like offering something valuable to the world. Yeah, I Uh, totally agree. And so I, I feel like we have transitioned a little bit now and in part of embedded into the term creator is just a greater sense of respect. Like, hey, we know that you're creating media for us, for our entertainment. And so we are going to give, like, give you that title that you deserve. I totally agree. I think creator is helping us move away from that snarkiness and judgment. Mm. It's interesting because when I wrote my big post on influencers, 99% of people who consumed that understood it. It wasn't a post about if I personally am an influencer or not. Like you could probably make a case for me being an influencer and you could probably make a case against me being an influencer. But what it is about or was about is that because I'm rarely referred to as an influencer, when it happens, I have this really unique perspective because I can see how people respond to me when I'm introduced as the tech founder Mm. versus how people respond to me when I'm introduced as the influencer. And it is, you know, chalk and cheese. It is complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And the comments prove that. Mm. And so it's something that's been on my mind for a really long time because of these, you know, handful of experiences that I had had and then I felt like I just had to put a pen to paper and actually put this down because it's just wild how as soon as you're introduced for me as an influencer, I'm no longer treated as a credible source. People speak about my appearance. Mm. Um, I'm treated like I don't have a job, which is just wild. Yeah. And I can totally detach myself from that because I know who I who I am and what I'm about. But imagine if you don't have that other title that you are introduced as most of the time and you are constantly out there trying to do good work Mm. and you are constantly not taken seriously because there is a section of society that fucking hate influencers. Like that's literally it. And it's not as simple as hating influencers. It's all of this stuff underneath. It is misogyny. It is sexism. It is a disdain for women that Mm. show up on the internet in a certain way. Mm. And I just think that's really disappointing to still see happening. And I honestly just felt a need to defend those people or be like, I see you. This would be so hard to get through all the time. The term influencer, it just brings so much focus onto this one sort of small element of their role where they're selling. Yes. And it totally disregards the topics people are talking about, the ideas people are sharing. Like, I wish we could just look at somebody individually and be like, oh, this person has built an audience because they've shared really candid behind the scenes of what it is like to be a model or like whatever Mm. else it is. And like, share certain perspectives on what it's like to build a company. Mm. Um, like just say what it, the, the thing that they're delivering, the thing of yeah. value that they're delivering like that they're people an follow them for. leader in X mm. space, mm-hmm. you know, doing really advocating for this, Yeah, you know, podcast up. But then I'm like, do we have to hide so hard from that label? You know, because as I was writing my thing, I was like, when I first saw all these comments like, oh, is her job one of the useless ones? 
you're just going to leverage your child for content to make money anyway. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ones about my forehead not moving, I'm like, did you miss the part where I'm nearly five months pregnant, which means I can't get Botox <laughs> and I haven't had Botox in like a year. Yeah. It was just good light. Anyway, I was like, I felt the need to reply, to say all these things, mm. to, to say that. Mm-hmm. I almost felt like I had to vomit my achievements up. And then I was yeah. like, no, that's the whole problem here. Mm. Like, I shouldn't have to prove I'm something other than an influencer to be taken seriously. Right, Like right. that is the is the whole problem. That's why I wanted to dig into why are we like this mm. as a society because it's just, I think, yet another way to hate on women's work and to use labels to just completely disregard what often feels like women. You know, it's yeah. it's models it's influencers, it's it's teachers, mm. it's nurses, it's mothers. Well, it's I think you meant, you nailed it before when you talked about the toolbox. It's like certain skills or attributes that we have that men will never have because they're just not naturally wired that way or like physically they're not made up that way. And it's like out of it's out of reach and it's probably frustrating because it is like a very freeing and like powerful way of making money for yourself and like creating a career for yourself. Mm. And it's inaccessible to half of the population. (laughs) And they're mad about it. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) it. I know. That's why we did a TikTok as a team the other day, actually, about like, you're going to get judged for it anyway, so just do it. Yeah. It just often feels like we just can't win. Yeah. I do like it when these things happen though, because It just reminds me how much progress we still have to make as a society. And I think when you work at a company that's progressive or if you work with a lot of women or you work with a lot of like-minded people, you can end up in a bit of a bubble where you actually aren't exposed to how much discrimination, sexism, misogyny, how women are still disadvantaged demoralized, dismissed Mm, mm -hmm. in many situations. Yeah. And that's why, like, we have to keep speaking about the things that matter. And I I also think it's good if people react in an angry way sometimes because it just means that you're actually making a bit of a difference. Like, if you're pissing people off, I think you're on to something. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, I mean, sort of related to this, uh, my one of my favourite tennis players, Nick Kyrgios, uh, (laughs) (laughs) he launched an OnlyFans last week. Mm. And I just found it so interesting. Like, OnlyFans has come a long way. Definitely the perception around OnlyFans and the stigma has changed slightly, or so I thought, opened up the comments of that announcement post And he's just being torn to shreds for doing this. And then a couple of days later, he posted something about his tennis and I opened the comment drawer on that one and everyone's like, stick to OnlyFans, mate. Like, just go back to OnlyFans. And like, that is all it's taken for him. And and he's a a dude. He's like a, Mm. who has decided to go on OnlyFans. But I think particularly when it comes to creating or setting up on a monetization platform, this sort of like derogatory, like looking down upon someone is, is even like amplified beyond what it is if you're an influencer. It's because you're se- you're selling, except this time you are selling access to yourself. You're selling mm. your personality. You're selling your body in a way <clears throat> or packaging it up. I was really like shocked. And <laughs> yeah, do you know what? As you were speaking about that, 
it made me think something and I don't know if I felt like I'm on to something with this thought or not, but he's Australian and I'm assuming a lot of his followers would be Australian Mm. and Australians fucking love to rip someone apart. Yeah. You know, like I just think even the comments you were saying, like this sounds very Australian to just shit on someone for doing something like this, for being the first. I don't know how many other elite athletes in Australia have launched OnlyFans. I also think in America, OnlyFans has become very accepted. I think Australia is still somewhat catching up to that. But I do wonder if there's just tall poppy syndrome in there as well. Like on one post, you've got people shitting on him for posting about OnlyFans and he tries to speak about tennis and he's still going to get chat on. He's probably experienced this so frequently. He's like, they're all going to hate me regardless. You know, yeah. I may as well make a dollar. Yeah. But think about Olivia Mathers as well, another Australian who launched her Instagram subscription, ripped apart in the comments. You don't tend to see that when the American... Mm. I've never really seen creators on our radar yeah. launch any form of subscription and get torn apart like I had noticed with Olivia Mathers and Nick Curios. So it's it's Australians and there's like a Maybe. I mean the tall poppy syndrome is really real like this sort of oh you're going to be an entrepreneur and going because it is a form of entrepreneurship like starting an OnlyFans and starting your business on an OnlyFans or a sunroom. Yeah, it's like no, you get back, you get back uh, yeah. down here <laughs> with the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know. People ask me about tall poppy syndrome all the time and I never feel like, honestly, every time I do a Q&A, there will be a handful of comments in there like, how do you feel tall poppy syndrome compares from the US to Australia? And I've never really felt personally, maybe I haven't thought about it hard enough, but I've never really felt like Australians have come at me Mm. or that the Australian culture has held me back. But I don't think I'm a big enough fish to have felt that. I Mm. think you have to like be at a certain level before you really feel something like that. And I wonder if Olivia Mathers and Nick Kyrgios are examples of when tall poppy syndrome comes into effect. Yeah. I also don't want to hate on, like I fucking love Australia. I think Australia is the best. So maybe I'm also somewhat want to defend that Australia is like that. But I think just as you've brought this up, I do think it's interesting that the comments sound really Australian. I wonder if they were made by Australians. Mm. Wonder what his audience is like. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I, thinking about my own experiences with tall puppy syndrome, I don't think I've had people like my Australian friends or my Australian community criticize me or try to tear me down at all. Like quite yeah. the opposite. I think people are like, whoa, yeah. she's doing that. That's cool. But I think where, where it comes out is like, I have found living here to be a much safer environment to take risks and to be like, yo, I'm going to go do this like crazy thing. Mm. And I'm going to put myself out in a limb. Mm. Whereas like, I don't know, it'd be interesting if I moved back to Australia one day, would I feel like there was enough like inertia and momentum around me from my my community to be like, yo, I'm going to go and do this thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I've only ever felt supported by mm. Aussies. Even on social media, even with the few things that I've just experienced in the last couple of weeks, I've not looked at those incidents as this is an Australian thing. I've looked at it more as like, well, maybe it is Australian, but it's, it's deeper. It's like a societal issue. It's not tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. Or maybe it is. Yeah. 
another fascinating uh, piece of content that I saw leading up to this podcast is this Chinese influencer who made $13 million, I think last week or recently, doing like a marathon influencing session where <laughs> she literally has a conveyor belt in front of her. And it must have been, I, th- I think it's like... Com- I want to think it's some sort of commentary on like influencing pushed to its extreme, maybe, Mm. or maybe it was a stunt and she just wanted to make as much money as she could. And she's like, I'm going to do this crazy stunt. And she is just picking up one product after the next being like, and she'll quickly describe it onto the next one, quickly describe it. And she's like, (laughs) and it's just the most wild thing. She does this for hours, hours. How did she make the money? I think everybody who gave a product and they probably, there was probably a lot of like PR around this particular stunt. Mm. I, I have to think it was like broadcast in some way. I wonder like, was it the volume of products? I'm just wondering what brand would pay for a second. I don't know. I don't know. But like, I'm also wondering what viewer would actually sit there and watch it. Yeah, like In a weird way, it was mesmerizing. It was some sort of like shopping ASMR. I was like, yep, yep. And this thing and that thing. It happened so quickly. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) I do think the way products show up online is definitely changing. Like Kylie Jenner did a post the other day for one of those energy drinks and it was just a super hot photo of her holding up a can and it was jarring to me because I was mm. like, wow, I have not seen an influencer creator show up online like this simply holding a product in so long. Like this feels very 2018. Mm. What is going on here? Because I just feel like we all got so used to being pushed a product in that way. So people have had to innovate, you know, Mm. I think like the TikTok get ready with me is such a great example of how it's become so much more interesting the Mm. way you get convinced to buy something. It's much more casual. It's much more integrated into your everyday life. So to then see someone just be like, you know, it wasn't like that. It was way hotter, but it was like a Kylie Jenner version of that. But is that actually the most authentic way of selling a product? It's like, hey, I'm not even going to try. I'm, just, and, <laughs> I'm not even going to try and hide the fact this is an ad. This is an ad. It's an ad. Mm. But your mention of TikTok, like, so TikTok recently introduced TikTok Shop, mm. where you have the little yellow label that appears whenever anyone is selling a product within that video. And I am going to be fascinated to see if they keep that feature because transparently I see that yellow label and I skip. Because I disregard it. I just disregard it because I know I'm going to be sold to in a sort of subtle, integrated into this story or this get ready Mm. with me. And I just don't want to be. And so I I have to think the engagement on those posts is like rubbish, but yeah, Mm. we'll see. It's so interesting as well because I also, you know, that niche corner of TikTok where it's all social media and marketing managers talking about the rates of influencers Mm -hmm. and what the amount of followers someone has and how they charge, how much they charge and what their engagement is. I also find it interesting that we haven't really evolved from that follower engagement audience, those stats, like why are there not conversion metrics? Like sales conversions. Yeah. yeah. Like that's the number one thing you want to be interested in. Like it doesn't really matter how many followers you have or what your engagement is. Do you have the kind of audience that actually buy what you're telling them to buy? That's so true. Like why aren't there? But I guess TikTok shop would provide those sort of metrics. Yeah. So maybe that's where that is going. Mm. But I also have found it interesting in my time Like we used to do a lot of this at Bumble where you'd give someone a specific link, you'd be tracking exactly how many registrations they got. And I would never have influencers reach out to know the number. Like how many downloads did I get? How many registrations did I get? 
I would really want to know that, Mm. I think. But maybe because it is such a smaller percentage than everything else, it just doesn't, it's probably never going to look as impressive. I don't know. I wonder why there isn't that desire there. Yeah. I mean, you you only manage what is measured. And to your point, it's not like really strictly measured all the time. It's like sometimes a little ambiguous. Yeah. Especially when it comes to downloading an app. Like, yeah, you can have a download link, but like not everyone uses the download link. (laughs) Also, it's like, sure, you could be promoting a product. They can buy it online, which would be really easily tracked, but it's not tracked if the person goes into store Mm. and buys it. That's an interesting area for innovation. If anyone Mm. out there is looking for an idea to build in this space, I don't know how to do it, but yeah, (laughs) Yeah. some some sort of like true attribution of conversion Mm. and like then trying to orient creators and influencers around like the actual selling moment. Yeah. Do you think there is a difference between the platforms with this perception of of influencers? Because like if you think about TikTok creators, do they face the same sort of judgment that like the traditional Instagram influencers do? I think the original TikTok influencers do, like the Charlie D'Amelio's, mm. Addison Ray's. And you know why? This is also just so bad that the, the I've connected the dots in my mind. They were showing up ultra feminine. They were doing mm. dances. You know, it was these like quiet, girly, cheery, dances that was like the first generation of TikTok as we know it not when it was what was it before was it musically, musically yeah which was which was more about like lip singing wasn't it mm-hmm. yeah but I think that's not the TikTok we all kind of know I think it is these dance trends that like blew it up yeah that's a good point I think they but then I'm, I'm thinking about now Alex Earl mm. she I think people would use influencer in that I, I still think the people that hate influencers yeah. would look at her as an influencer. Right. But people that are okay with it, she's like the darling of the internet. Like everyone oh, adores her. I'm fucking obsessed with her. But I also wonder like the really like OG influencers, a lot of their content was static, static photos. And with TikTok, you can't, you obviously can't do photos. So you show up you're animated. You're showing up with your personality. You, you literally have to talk mm. to get views and to get somewhere. And yeah. so maybe it's a li- you're ascribed a little more value. Your content is. But because, how fucked is that? Yeah, that because that I I do think that's probably it. People view showing up as TikTok as you needing more skill mm. because you can't just depend on your looks. But right. that just depending on your looks, like that's what is looked down upon, mm. and that's always aimed at women. Yeah. We should do a campaign. Don't hate us because we're hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Title of our next campaign is on (laughs) it. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.